Welcome back to the Elite Level Cross Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ross Mandela. In today's episode, we'll break down the Arches and Water Dogs as they look to battle it out in the city of brotherly love tomorrow, September 24th at 3 p.m. at Subaru Park for the PLL Championship. It should be a great game. We have the number one seed and the number three seed about to battle it out tomorrow. We have a lot to talk about. We have a combined nine first and second team all pro players um, that are going to hit the field. We've got the league MVP. We have the reigning PLL championship of 2022 MVP and Michael Sowers. As we said before, the league MVP and Tom Schreiber. Um, there's just a lot to talk about. There's a lot to look forward to. We're going to jump right in with, with this breakdown of the Water Dogs and Archers, and then we're going to finish our episode off with our all-rookie team selections. Um, what does our all-rookie team look like? We're going to talk about each position um, and our guys that we feel like should represent that all-rookie team. I know the PLL comes out with a all-pro team first and second team, um, but we wanted to provide to our fans and our, our listeners an all-rookie team um, as we kind of go into the final weekend of this season. So we're going to break down both teams right now. We got the Archers as the number one seed versus the Water Dogs, who are the three seed. Archers finished the year with an 8-2 and two overall record. One of those losses was to the Water Dogs towards the end of the season. Again, both games that they played against each other were, were one-goal games. You have the Water Dogs again, finishing with that third seed at 7-3, and three, coming off a, a big win last week against the Cannons. Archers are coming off a nice win against the Redwoods, um, and both are ready to collide in tomorrow's matchup for the championship. So when we look at the 2023 stats, we look at goals and scores per game, the in that head-to-head matchup, um, the edge kind of goes to the Archers. They're, they're scoring about 13.8 scores per game, where you look at the Water Dogs at 12.9. So that, again, when you look at their two regular season matchups, it's a one-goal swing either way. You look at you know the Archers winning um, that one matchup, the Water Dogs winning the other one. Then you look at scores against. So defensively, how many goals are their defense giving up? And again, it is neck and neck. It is 11.1 scores against for the Archers, 11.8 for the Water Dogs. So again, you're looking at two uh, very lethal offenses. You have two very, very solid defenses. Um, As you continue down looking at the statistics, um, total scores, Archers, 138 total scores as opposed to the Water Dogs, 129. So again, very close there. Um, One-point goals, very close as well. 118 for the Arches to 105 for the Water Dogs. Um, Shooting percentage, neck and neck at 27%. Um, Shots per game, again, very close. Uh, Roughly around 47 shots per game for the Archers offense, 43 for the Water Dogs. Face-off is where it really, that pendulum really swings over to the Archers. Um, Their face-off percentage is right now currently at 65%, um, where the Water Dogs are right now at 27%. When we look at that, you also have to think about when the Archers are gaining possession. 
They're winning those faceoffs and gaining possession. How efficient is their offense with that 32-second shot clock? And they are the most efficient team in the league this year with 27.6% of those possessions, scores, and goals. So they're scoring on 27.6% of the 32-second possessions that they're getting, which is tops in the league. So they are the most efficient in managing that 32-second shot clock. And that could be how the archers separate a little bit. When you look at scores per game, scores against on average per game, their overall shooting percentage, um, their overall shots per game, if the faceoffs are dominant by the archers, you know, and and you should think, yes, Sisselberger, who is a second-team All-Pro, he should be... You know, the guy that you would think would win that matchup against Courier um, and others, you know, they do roll some other guys out there. If he's winning, let's say, 65 to 60% of his faceoffs and they're scoring at a clip of 27.6% or somewhat close to it or even better than that, it's going to be tough for the Water Dogs to then bounce back. Um, because if, let's say, the archers do score off of, say, the first face-off or even the second face-off, it goes right back to the face-off X. Sisselberger wins again. It's another possession. So you're keeping that ball away from the attack of, of the water dogs. You know, you're keeping it away from McCardle, Walker, Sowers, um, who really want the ball in their stick. I know Sowers... You know, when you when you hear him on on TV, when you see the interviews of him, you know, he does talk a lot about wanting to get going early. Um, so by able, by their ability to dominate faceoffs, but also be efficient in those possessions, that kind of moves that pendulum to a strength and a big strength for the, the archers. When you look at, you know, save percentage, um, you know. On the season, it's roughly neck and neck, right about the same. And again, two solid goalkeepers in Dobson for the Archers um, and Dylan Ward for for the for the Water Dogs. Both are at the tops of their game, um, and and both playing having great seasons. You know, as we continue to go down, um, you know, you're looking at two of the best offensive players in, in Michael Sowers and Top Schreiber. You've got Sowers, again, who is a second-team All-Pro. You've got, who's, you know, coming off 30 points on the season, 15 goals, 15 assists, so a, a balanced, a balanced, you know, offensive player. And what you've seen from him, you know, over the course of these this playoff run for them is you have seen his uh, ability to explode in, in you know, get in and out of his dodges very quickly, have the ability to use the two-man game or not use it, um, but cause confusion with not only his defender, but also that off-ball defender who is also coming in um, and either has to allow, you know, the defender to go through or to switch. You know, the he is really dictating that, that matchup um, and not allowing the defense to get into his hands, get into his body. You know, his his dodging is is a thing that, you know, all young players should watch when they're watching this game. Just watch the way that he, you know, attacks the the spots that he attacks from the, you know, the way that he utilizes the two man game. 
Um, the way that he, you know, attacks GLE and not only can shoot, but also can feed. Um, I think that's going to be something that, you know, as a fan, you're going to want to watch. Then on the other side, you've got Tom Schreiber. You've got the, you know, midfielder of the year, leadership award winner from this past year, and league MVP. He's coming off a season of 37 points, 16 one-point goals, and 17 assists on the season. Um, so again, just a, a, a really good season for him. You know, shooting, his shooting percentage was 28%, which, it, which is solid, you know, in, in the pro game. Um, both of them are, are going to be pieces that I think the other teams are going to have to watch and you're going to have to respect. Um, you'll see, you know, a poll on Schreiber. Um, you'll probably see, you know, Hasek on Sowers. That'll probably be the matchup because I think, you know, Hasek can be physical with him. He's not going to be afraid of him. He's not going to give him space like a lot of other defenders did, um, you know, and he is, he's going to be physical. He's going to be aggressive. Um, and the way that the Archers play, their defense has, has had a tremendous season. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, with the Archers defense, they're only giving up about 11 scores per game, which is tops in the PLL. Um, on the penalty kill, they're second in the league at 64%. Which is, which is very good. Um, they are causing seven turnovers per game, third in the league, and their sh uh, shooting percentage allowed. So the, uh, the shooting percentage that they are allowing and giving up is 25%. Um, and then their save percentage is second in the league at 57%. So it's when you're able to cause turnovers, you have a high save percentage, um, you are limiting you know, the number of shots that teams are getting, you know, that will equate into having a low scores against average. And I think that right there is a key ingredient to the transition game that the archers have, you know, not to take anything away from, from the water dogs. They have a very up pace, up tempo style transition game as well. But the, the archers is, is, is somewhat, you know, amazing just to watch. So, you know, there's a lot going into this matchup. Um, you know, there's great attack units, great defensive units, and, and solid midfield depth all throughout. Um, so, again, you've got Sowers and McCardle, you know, Matt, uh, down at that, you know, attack unit with Ethan Walker. And it'll be interesting to see how the Archers handle Ethan Walker. Will they handle it similar to how they adjusted to the Redwoods in taking Westberg out of the game? They, they stayed very tight. Um, they made their slides very short um, and they were able to help very quickly. And they did not allow the Redwoods to attack and move the ball inside. It almost was they clogged up that middle and never let Westberg really get going. Um, they almost forced a lot of perimeter shots, perimeter, you know, perimeter dodging. They, you know, were able to pick and choose when they were going to slide. And I think tightening up kind of suffocated that offense for the Redwoods. It'll be interesting to see how they play out, you know, this Water Dogs team. This Water Dogs team, as of, of late, you know, Back in August, um, you know, there was an article that came out about the Water Dogs and how, you know, a lot of their offensive production was off of these isolation one-on-one -on -one dodges. Um, and really what it, what it broke down was um, that they were lowest in the league in, in scoring off of those isolation dodges. 
and you just watch over the course of the last few weeks, especially this playoff run, and you see more two-man game, you see more patience, you see a lot more off-ball action. You know, they are getting a lot of cutting. You know, you'll see Ethan Walker, he does a a marvelous job of cutting off-ball, but then they also do a lot of off-ball picks. They set some down picks, up picks. Um, They will, you know, set a lot of ball screens. So there's a lot of movement. And I think they've gotten away from just that isolation type dodge to where, you know, this is the matchup that we want to attack. This is what we want to do. Um, This is how we want to attack this defense. And we're just going to settle, you know. And since then, you know, they have gone on this, this really great run. Um, you know, they are they're playing well together. It's a fun brand of ball to watch, you know, and they, yes, have their identity. But again, you see that just the, the patience that they play with, the execution on ball and off ball. Um, and it really, it really made it very hard um, this past game for the Cannons to really match up. There was, you know, off ball movement. There was cutting, there was cycling, there was a lot going on to where it it made it hard off ball, but also it put pressure on the on-ball defenders, the on-ball defender who was getting picked. So those two-man games, it put a lot of pressure on them. And if they can continue to, to progress with this offense, the way that they've been playing, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna put the archers a little bit on their heels. You know the archers were were great last week. You know in their semifinal game against the redwoods because the redwoods tried to do that. They the redwoods you know it was very at times very stagnant. There wasn't a lot of movement. They were settling for shots that the defense wanted, not what they wanted. They could never, it took a while for the Redwoods to get into rhythm. So I think if the Water Dogs, you know, attack this defense and think, okay, we need, you know, the ball to be in in this player's hand. We're going to look to set some picks on ball. We're going to look for some off ball action, some movement. Um, If we're going to dodge, you know, off of the wing, we will look to create movement um, and get players moving. If the archers look to kind of clamp down and tighten up, how can we create opportunities for Ethan Walker? How can we get him free? Um, If they're playing Sowers physical, um, how how can we provide support for him with the two-man games? Where are we going to set those picks? Um, Where are we going to attack? I think if they go in with a similar game plan, I think they'll be okay. Um, The way that their offense has been going, you know, it's been playing well. They've been playing great. Um, So again, I'm not worried about, you know, what this team looked like in August. I'm more focused on what they look like right now. Um, And they really do look like they're rolling. They look like the, you know, one of the top three offenses in the league, you know, and, and that's really where they stand. They stand as one of those top three teams, you know, they're right there um, with, you know, the top end of the league in two pointers, you know, they are um, right now, I believe second in the league in assists. And that is a shift in style of play. You know, they are definitely sharing the ball more. You know, their shooting percentage is right there at the higher end of the league. You know, the highest is, you know, the Cannons at 31%. 
Um, but then right after that, it's the Atlas Chaos at 28. And then you've got the Archers and Water Dogs at 27%. Um, so they're right there at the top of the league in shooting percentage. Um, so I think if they continue to share the ball, I think if they continue to get the ball into McCardle's hands, into Sauer's hands, um, get a lot of off-ball movement, it's going to free up these big-time shooters that they have in Connor Kelly, who can shoot from the outside, um, Hannah, who can shoot from the outside, Conrad, who is just, you know, such a valuable piece to their offense. Um, I think Ethan Walker off-ball, I think the, the more movement that they have, I think it's going to play to their strength and not allow the archers to just tighten up and identify slides easily and, and create you know, disruption with their matchups, they're going to have to put this Archer's defense on their heels. You know, They are the number one defense in the league, but the Water Dogs are right there in almost all statistical categories. You know, They have more cost turnovers. Um, you know, they're both at over 300 ground balls for the season. Um, the, the Archers are a little bit higher at 389 um, as a team, but again, you know, the, the Water Dogs are right there with 314, okay? Uh, scores against, very similar. Um, so again, you know, scores per game is very similar. Um, so they're both very solid defensive units. Um, when you get down to goaltending, you know, you have the Archers and you have the Water Dogs, you know, as a, as a unit, both of them are solid. Their save percentage, you know, is just, is neck and neck. You know, the Archers have a 57.3 save percentage, where the Water Dogs have a 56.1 save percentage. Um, you know, so they're just neck and neck. You know, the Archers do have the advantage at the face-off X, but the Water Dogs have made it work in their advantage um, almost all season. You know, um, once they really started gelling and, and playing well together, you know, they have made that face-off unit work. Um, it'll be interesting. I think that's the, the big piece tomorrow. You know, my number one takeaway tomorrow is going to be, can the archers dominate the face-offs? Can the water dogs not allow that to hurt them? Can they get stops early on in the possessions? Can they force, you know, this archers team to rush a little bit to, to not settle for good shots? You know, that will be key. But I think when you look at it, both teams have strong defenses. So the, the matchups down at the defense and, and uh, defensive ends of the field, you know, the Sowers and Graham Hasek matchup, that's going to be another, you know, big piece is can Sowers get going? Can he contribute like he did in last year's championship game? Can he have that MVP type caliber game with one of the top defenders in the league on him? Um, what about Connor Fields? You know, is he going to get matched up with Ben Randall? Ben Randall is one of those defenders that's, that's again, tops in the league. How is that matchup going to work? Um, how will the Water Dogs handle um, Amen and O'Keefe? You know, that tandem that has really, you know, sparked over the, especially the last game. But how are they going to handle that matchup? Um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, this is going to just be such a, a fun, fun game to watch. Um, you know, just right down the list. It's a great goaltender versus great goaltender. You have that savvy veteran in Dylan Ward and that younger, you know, Brett Dobson, who is just, you know, exploded onto the scene over the last two years. And once he got his shot this year, just has, has absolutely ran with it. Um, you know, 
and it, it, it should make for a great battle there. Um, you know, Dobson really and, and Ward both play to the style of transition games that both teams want to play. You know, they, they do get that ball out quickly and they get it moving, you know, north-south. They get it down to their offensive end very quickly so they can continue to keep attacking. Um, you know, when you look at the two matchups, in that Week 7 matchup, you know, the, the Archers won that one 19-18. to you know, shooting percentage was basically 35% for the Archers and 34 for the Water Dogs. So their shooting percentage was the same. Face-offs were, you know, a complete swing towards the Archers, which we are, we're, we're going to see that again. Um, you know, Sisselberger is one of the best in the game. Save percentage right there. Archers a little bit ahead at 47%. Water Dogs 41%. You know, then you get to that matchup in August towards the end of the season in week 11. And you had the Water Dogs who have, have, Played in five one-goal games this year. You know, they they beat the Chaos June 4th. They beat the Atlas June 16th. And they beat the Archers August 25th. You know, in these one-goal games. So, you know, for a team that is the three seed at seven and three, um, being able to be successful in these close games could pay dividends for them tomorrow. I think it's going to be, I, th- I think it's going to be a close game again. Um the only feel that I have where it could, you know, there could be a team that runs away. I think it could be the Archers due to faceoffs and 32-second shot clock um, efficiency. But again, the Water Dogs have the ability to, you know, take that weakness and that, you know, weak area and build strengths around it. You know, their transition game is solid. Their defense is is great. You know, Dylan Ward, he may end up standing on his head. He has the ability to. Um, Their offense is just very deep and very consistent. Um, So again, having that weakness at the face-off X, it it could pose a problem for the Water Dogs. But again, they're coached so well and their players are so good that they can adjust around that. Um, and again, in that second matchup in week 11, Archers win 79% as opposed to the Water Dogs with 17. Um, and again, the Water Dogs found a way. They, they had a better shooting efficiency. They shot 30%. Um, you know, saves, it was 61% for the Archers and 60% for the Water Dogs. Um, so again, this is just a tight, tight battle. Um, it's going to be just... A fun championship game to watch. Um, the atmosphere should be electric. It's a great place for a lacrosse game. You know, I had the opportunity with my family to go to DC a couple of years ago to watch it, um, and it was nothing but amazing, electric. It was a great fan base um, down there. Um, I know coming to Philly, it's you are in a hotbed area where you know there's a lot of lacrosse, and I think. Hopefully, the, a, a, a pouring of fans come out to support this game. Um, it should make for a great game. It should be a fun game. It's one of those games where it's it's it could get up and down and be quick, and that's that's why we love the game of lacrosse. You know that old cliche of the fastest game on two feet. It should be a fast game tomorrow. Um, and again, you look at you know both sides. You know with nine combined for uh, first and second team all pros. You know, at both ends, you've got Connor Fields for the Archers at, at attack, but then you got Michael Sowers um, for the for the Water Dogs. You got Schreiber at the midfield, 
Zach Courier at the midfield for the Water Dogs. You go to defense, you got Graham Hasek, Ben Randall. You've got, you know, Sisselberger, and then you got Brett Dobson. And then, honestly, if, if the league had, had a third team, I think, you know, Dylan Ward's going to be on that third team. Um, you know, when you talk about people that get snubbed for first and second team All-Pro, this guy's been marvelous all season. Um, and again, there's so many good players that, you know, somebody is going to get, you know, snubbed. And he did. Um, but he is a great goalkeeper. Um, so it, it should be and should be one of the best championship games, um, you know, in this league's history. It can go down as a, as a great one. And then you've got, you know, those matchups of, you know, Ament and Sowers who are from the area. You've got, you know, the Archers going for their first championship with the Water Dogs. They're looking to repeat. You know, you haven't had a repeat since, you know, the Whip Snakes, you know, back at the beginning of this league. Um, you know, it's it's awesome to see, you know, not to say like a changing of the guards, but it's it's nice to see, you know, the Water Dogs who you know, we're one of those expansion teams. They weren't one of the original, um, have the ability to now be in, play in back-to-back championship games. You've got the archers who many of us have thought, you know, the archers are loaded year in and year out. You know, they've got the goalkeeping, they've got the defense, they've got the, the midfield, they've, you know, they've got players at attack, you know, and they made a lot of changes in the off season. Um, and, you know, have have built with this nucleus and the pieces to the puzzle are now fitting and the way that they play together um, is is remarkable. And it's good to see a new team now in the mix. You know, we've had the the whip snakes for for years um, be that standard, you know, that championship standard. Then you also have the chaos who have played in m- multiple championship games and have won the championship. And then you've got that new expansion team, the Water Dogs, you know, who, who won last year, who are back again this year. You got a new team in the Archers. You know, you've got the, the Cannons, you know, um, you know, lacrosse club who, you know, is, is making that push now. You know, they were kind of more bottom of the league, you know, to start the last couple of years. And now they're pushing up, you know, as, you know, finished with the number two seed this year and lost in the semis. You know, so it is really good to see some new teams kind of come in, um, but it's also good to see, you know, a Water Dogs team back-to-back championship games, an Archers team who, again, as we said, many of us have felt like they should be in this game. They could have easily last year been a team that made it to the championship game. Um, I think a lot of us, as the season was going on last year, felt like this was the Archers year, you know back in 2022 and it just didn't happen and then you know they they added some new pieces we, you know we're going to we're going to talk about a couple of them but they ended up drafting some some really great talent you know when you look at you know in the first round you're drafting you know Sisselberger at the faceoff x you know and then for a team that you know hasn't really gotten this far they go you know in in Round two, you know, and round three, they hit the defensive midfield position and it paid dividends for them. You know, the three picks that they took were, you know, two D middies and a, and a face-off guy. 
Um, and it has really paid off for them, you know, in transition at the defensive end, you know, the, these two young D middies that they have, you know, along with, you know, that core group of poles that they have, um, Latrell Harris, who, you know, had that injury really helped to solidify, you know, that kind of rope unit that we call those, the defensive midfield position, the LSM position, you know, um, they really helped solidify that. So again, it, it should be a great game, you know, tomorrow, 3 p.m. Um, it'll, be, it'll be great to see how these matchups unfold, how these teams handle the pressure of the championship game. You know, the Water Dogs have been here before. They, they know the feel. They know what the pressure is like, you know, and for the Archers, they are they are rolling. You know, it took them a little bit in that semifinal game to kind of get going. But once they did, you know, it was like the floodgates opened and the, you know, the goalkeeping was fantastic. The defense was solid. The transition game was was flying, you know, and they were attacking. And, you know, putting Grant down at attack with O'Keefe and Fields, it just looked and it felt as you watched it like that's the way it should have been all year for them. Um, and I think rolling into this championship game, you know, they know where their strengths are and they know how to attack. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the, the chess game between two, both coaches and how their game plans unfold and what adjustments they make, you know, after that first quarter at halftime. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, so we're looking really forward to that game. Now we want to kind of get into um, something that's a, a little new, a little different here. Um, you know, with the league, they established those first and second team all pro teams. Um, we thought after that was released, I started thinking about, okay, what if I had an all rookie team? You know, like a lot of like a lot of leagues do. So I wanted to break down, just in my opinion, my all rookie team, um, and it looking at it. You know, when we when you, you dig in and dive deeper, um, when you look at it, you have some great, you know, foundational pieces for your franchise that you can build upon for next year for some teams that you know didn't make it to the semifinals and didn't make it to the championship game. But again, we're kind of rebuilding. So you have a lot of really good foundational, you know, franchise type pieces. You have a lot of guys that just absolutely came from the college game to the pro game and exploded it with, with numbers and stats. Um, so we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about the attack first. Um, we've got three guys, our first you know, all player for the all rookie team is Brian Minicus, you know, for the chaos. He was a, you know, a second round pick for the chaos. He was a seventh pick taken um, in round two. He just exploded onto the scene. Everything that Coach Towers, you know, talked about in Minicus, his athleticism, his ability to change direction quickly, his ability to get in and out of dodges quickly, um, his ability not just to be a scorer, but also provide, you know, those assists and and to move the ball to open players, um, you know, it was very evident in his style. You know, he did attack mostly from below GLE and mostly from X. Um, but again, you know, he had 24 points, 15 goals and nine assists in 10 games. You know, as a rookie, he's averaging 2.4 points per game. Um, and 
Also, the other you know little stat that I like um, is touches per game average. And I like to look at that because it tells me, are these guys involved? And how involved are they in some of these matchups and some of these games? And can they get the ball in their stick? You know, if you're going up against, you know, a an all-pro type defender, can you get the ball in your stick? You know, and he had 36.7 touches per game on average. Um, when you look at some of the games that he really was successful in, you know, he had four points against an Archer's defense that was tops in the league. He had five points against the Atlas, who had, you know, two really, really good rookies um, that they had in the mix, as well as, you know, uh, Tucker Durkin, who is, you know, an all-world defender. Um, so, again, having five points in that game was something that was very impressive. Um, and then against the Chrome, he had four points, you know, and I know the Chrome has struggled, but you've got some really good defenders down there in, in JT, who is just a, a phenomenal, you know, uh, defender, you know, on Team USA this past uh, this past summer. So Brian Minicus is our first attackman on our all-rookie team. Second attackman goes to Ty Kurtz, his teammate on the chaos. And, and you're saying to yourself, he, he only played in six games. Um, it took a little bit of a while for them to, you know, get him involved um, on the roster, get him playing time. Um, but in his six games, he averaged 2.2 points per game and 1.8 goals per game. And in those six games, he had 13 points on 11 goals and two assists. Um, and again, he kind of fills that role of like a, an Ethan Walker, a Westberg. You know, he's just very good off ball. You know, coming out of Delaware, he's, he's you know, got that Canadian type style of he just knows how to get open. He knows how to flash and cut to the ball. Um, and he really played well off of Minicus. You know, Minicus is that that big dodger, you know, from, from behind. And you got Minicus who can kind of fill that inside role. Um, so again, you know, he was, you know, the first pick of the third round. Um, so when you look at this attack unit, you know, you have a second round pick, you have a third round pick, um, both on our all rookie team. So, you know, there is definitely value later on in the draft, you know, with, with this league and, and these pickups. And again, it's about finding the right fits for your team. And I think coach uh, towers did that. Um, also, what I liked about Kurtz is, you know, his shooting percentage was 35%. Um, so, you know, his ability to get open, you know, and in those six games, um, you know, really was productive. Then you kind of look at, you know, our third attackman on our all-rookie team um, is Cross Ferreira. And, you know, going into the draft, I remember watching the draft with my son and I'm thinking to myself, you know, who's Cross Ferreira, you know? Uh, a D3 guy out of Salisbury, you know, you look at it and he's got a ton of points, um, you know, and you just are curious as to, well, how can that translate over? And, you know, we've, we've seen it before with, with D3 guys coming into the league, you know, there's several of them that have been able to contribute, you know, and Cross Ferrer was, you know, the fourth pick of the fourth round, and that's the final round of the PLL draft. Um, and he comes into the Chrome, and in the eight games he played, he had 14 points, 12 goals, two assists. Um, and just as the season unfolded, you could just see him getting more comfortable and more comfortable. And, you know, the the Chrome trying to get the ball into his stick. Now, I'm not sure just 
what the Chrome is looking to do this offseason. Are they just looking to to blow the doors off and, you know, try to acquire some new players? You know, there there's talks of them, you know, with that first pick taking Brendan O'Neill, um, which, you know, regardless, that it should be the first pick of the draft. Uh, he is a game changer, you know, to, to do what he did in the summer uh, for Team USA was so impressive. Um, that's a kind of guy that, you know, you could bring in with the first pick and can ignite your offense. But where does Cross fit in with him? Is he, you know, that right-handed guy, at, you know, when O'Neal is kind of more of your lefty? Um, will they move him and play him out of the midfield? You know, what will they do with Wisnowskis? Um, is Nick Turn coming back? You know, so for Cross, you know, he had a great season and gave great value. And he, again, is is a guy, you know, with 14 points um, as a rookie. He's a guy that as the season went on, you could just see the confidence grow. You could see, you know, him getting better and better each week. Um, and I think he definitely became a building block for this team in the future. They can build off of, of that success that he had. Um, now we're going to shift over to the midfield. And this was one of the hardest areas and, and positions to, to, to break down and to only pick three. Um, there were a couple of guys that we left off. We'll talk about them, you know, towards the end. You know, if we were going to go four or five deep, you know, we could have gone six deep at this position. Um, it was just absolutely awesome, you know, looking through their stats and, and even watching them this year. You know, our first guy on our all-rookie team at the midfield is Tucker Dordovic, you know, from the Whip Snakes. He was the sixth pick of the first round um, this past draft. He ended up finishing the season with 26 points, 14 goals, five two-pointers, which tied him for first in the league. And he had two assists in his 10 games. Uh, His shooting percentage was uh, roughly around 30% on the season. He was averaging about 2.6 points per game six shots per game um, and getting about 23.4 touches per game. And I really feel like with the whip snakes, I know that there are the rumors about, you know, are they going to have some of their older veteran players retire? Um, Are those guys going to look to come back? Are they going to give them, you know, one year contracts? Are they going to, you know, look to make some trades? How does this attack unit look? Um, you know, for from the whip snakes, you know when they are, you know, going to into their off season, you know when they're looking at okay, these are the guys that we return. Here is our free agent. Here's the free agent pool, and these are the potential draft picks. And where are we going to go? You know, Tucker Dordovic, regardless if you play him at attack um, or you keep him at midfield, this guy can play in both spots. He can play anywhere for you. Um, and maybe you look next year to get the ball in his stick more. Um, you know, he's a guy that can, he can shoot from outside. He can, you know, he can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I know his assist, assist numbers are low, but he, you know, when you go back to his time at Syracuse and Georgetown, you know, any game that you watched on, on the networks, you knew when the ball was in his stick, it probably wasn't coming out. It was going on on net. You know, he is a shooter. He's a shooter first. Um, if he can develop his game a little bit more and, and be a, you know, he doesn't need crazy assist stats like an attackman, 
But if he can advance his game a little bit more, um, you know, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. Um, and he was this past year an all-star selection. We're going to move on to our second midfielder. Um, and this guy is just so fun to watch. He was fun to watch um, at Virginia, you know, even when they'd play him out of the midfield, you know, early on in his career, um, he was just still a very lethal type player. Um, when he got his chance to, to run with that attack unit, um, he was so efficient um, and it, he's fun to watch. And that's Xander Dixon from the Atlas. Um, again, like a Tucker Dordovic, Xander Dixon to me is a key piece and building block for that Atlas team. And again, he's another guy that, you know, was successful out of the midfield, but he's also a natural attackman. But he can play both because he played both at the college level and was successful at it. You know, he came into the league, you know, in his 10 games, had 20 points on 14 goals and six assists. Um, and this guy was, you know, a third pick of the second round for the Atlas. You know, and we know what they did in that first round, taking two poles, and then they were able to come back in that third, uh, in that second round, and grab Xander Dixon, and he had just a great season for them. Um, you know, almost two points per game, forty point two um, shooting percentage on the season. He got about nineteen touches per game, and I think next year he's going to get more. Um, and he was an All Star selection. And if you watch. Um, you know, if you watched their loss in the quarterfinals, this guy had had, you know, an impressive game. Game in and game out, he just when the ball is in his stick, it's just something that is just it's beautiful to watch. Um, so he is my second midfielder on our all rookie team. And now our third pick. Um, and again, if you would have looked somewhere like the middle of the season. You may have gone with, with, with somebody else. I know, you know, looking at the all-star selections, you know, that's kind of the middle of the season. But this guy just, you know, as the season went on, it just got better and better and better and better. And it's, you know, sometimes it's not about how you start, but it's how you finish. And it's the body of work. And Cole Kirst, the body of work um, was impressive. 18 points on 13 goals and five assists. Um, you know, he led, you know, midfielders in points this year for the Redwoods. Um, as a guy that, you know, it took some time for him to really, you know, show how explosive he is, the kind of shooter he is. Um, and, you know, this guy, if you're a line mate of his, you're going to want to run through a wall with this guy. This guy will do everything and anything you know, to help his team be successful, the amount of energy and juice that this guy provides for his team, um, you can just see it. It's, and, and it's infectious. You know, he is going to be a guy that eventually could, could become a face of the league, a face of this Redwoods team. Um, you know, he was uh, the second pick in round three of the draft. So he did, you know, I, not to say fall, but, you know, there's not a lot of picks each round. You know, and so there's gonna be tons of value in the third and the fourth round, um, and he was a, a tremendous value to this Redwoods team um, being selected in round three. You know, he had about two point six points per game, um, one point nine goals per game. Um, his shooting percentage was you know in the thirties, and he just and it was only in seven games. 
you know, and again, if you look kind of at that first half of the season, you may have gone with maybe like a Sam Handley or a, a Matt Campbell, who both had very good years. But as the body of work continued to grow, Cole Kirst, a no-brainer on this all-rookie team. You know, when we talked about Sam Hanley, you know, who was the, the fourth pick of the first round, um, and Matt Campbell, who was um, the first pick of round two, and Matt Campbell was an all-star selection. You know, Campbell had 17 points on the season, um, and Hanley had 14. So again, stats-wise, you know, very similar to each other, but it's what Curse provided for that offense. You know, when the when the Redwoods were were rolling, it was because you know they were getting some some great you know dodges from Kirst. They were getting production from him. Um, so to me, he's a guy that you know he was a, a great pickup for them in round three, and really had a great rookie season. Um, so again. On the offensive end, we got Minicus, Kurtz, and Ferreira at attack. At the midfield, we got Dordovic, Dixon, and Kirst. Um, and again, they're, they're, we could have even made a, a second midfield unit um, just because there was so much productivity from the middies this year. Um, and some of these guys that were kind of selected as attackmen but filled the midfield role. Um, now we're going to jump to the defensive side, and we're going to start off with the face-offs. Sisselberger, hands down, is the guy here. Um, you know, I was talking with some people the other day just about Rowlett and, you know, LaSala, who both had good seasons. But Sisselberger, you know, with that, you know, first-round pick, pick five of the first round by the Archers, um, he just... He was one of the pieces that this team was missing. They were just missing a guy um, that could just get the ball down to their offense. Um, their offense was so high-powered and loaded year in and year out, but they just could not find consistency at the face-off X. You know, he goes on and wins you know, 68.1% of his face-offs, 173 wins to 254 face-offs this year, 115 ground balls, and contributed four points. You know, so not only is he giving possession to his team, you know, he's he's producing and helping um, an offense that is the most efficient within those 32 seconds. Um, he was a second-team All-Pro, an All-Star selection, second in the league in face-off wins, um, and you know, just a monster of a rookie campaign. You know, to to be selected to the All-Star game, you know, as a rookie. Okay, you know, the, the league was kind of split in where its face-off guys were. Um, some guys even struggled as the year went on. Some teams even just didn't even go to a traditional face-off guy. Um, they didn't even suit up a face-off guy at all. You know, and for him, you know, he's second-team All-Pro and an All-Star selection. But just to have the season that he did was, was monstrous. Um, you know, and he's a guy that... I think can continue to do this year in and year out. You know, he's built for this, you know, with that wrestling background. Um, he is strong. He is physical. He is big. He, he's hard to move off the ball. And if he can con continue to contribute, um, almost like Trevor does for the Atlas, um, with being able to produce points, um, he just becomes an even bigger threat. When we jump to the defensive midfield um, spots, we got two guys, both um, were taken by the Archers. You know, and there were some other guys in the discussion, like a Tevlin. Um, but really, for me, I went with you know Connor Marr and Piper Bond, not only just as teammates, but really again 
a, a piece to the puzzle that has really made this Archers team so lethal this year and so good. Um, both of them very similar numbers. You know, you look at Marr, um, who was, you know, the fifth pick in round two. You know, so, you, you know, as an Archers team, you get Sisselberger round one. Then you get a D-Midi in round two. Um, and some teams are saying to themselves, well, why take a D-Midi? Why take two D-Midis? And we're going to get into that. You know, Marr, four cost turnovers, 16 ground balls, and six points on the season. Um, five goals and one assist. You know, he only had one penalty in his 10 games. Then you've got Piper Bond, you know, who was a round three selection. He was the fifth pick of that round uh, to go to the Archers. He has five cost turnovers, 15 ground balls, three points on the season, and those points were three assists. Uh, so he didn't score any goals. But again, he's producing and, and playing a role in that transition game, you know, for the offense. Um, and again, he played in 10 games. So both of these guys contributed week in and week out. Um, and that really helped. You know, you've got a guy in Connors as their LSM, but the, this unit is just is fast, athletic. Um, they they were able to step in and mesh very well with this defensive unit. Um, and it really made it one of the top defenses in the league. Um, we've talked about that. So those are my two D MIDI selections. Um then you've got at the LSM, hands down, Ethan Rawl at, from the Cannons. You know, and it is, it is awesome to see a player get undrafted, you know, not selected in the four rounds. You know, he gets picked up by the Cannons and he, he becomes a second team all pro. He leads the league and cause turnovers with 20, you know, and he is not a big, tall guy. Um, and it's great to see that, you know, he is undrafted. So it shows that you don't need to be drafted to be a great in this league. You don't have to be six foot three to be a great defender. You just have to, you know, have the ability to, you know, see these obstacles in, you know, being undrafted and not, not let it get in your way. You know, and, and Ethan Rawl has done this. You know, he he has not allowed not being drafted to get in his way of being a productive top LSM in this league. You know, and he goes out there. He's not this tall, rangy defender, but he plays like it, you know, and he leads the league and cause turnovers um, and an absolute steal for this Cannons team. And he is, again, a, a key piece to the building block of this Cannons defense and the turnaround that they had. You know, 20 cost turnovers, 30 ground balls, one goal, and no penalties in the nine games that he played this year. Monstrous type season. Um, and it's it's awesome to see that, you know. And that's the thing that I love about this league is that, you know, you've got guys that are undrafted. You have guys that, you know, are D3 lacrosse players. You've got guys from, you know, Teams that are not your traditional ACC, uh, Big Ten, Big East, you know, they are from, you know, some teams that you, some fans have never even heard of. Um, and that's what I love about the league. It is the best of the best. Um, and if you're a great player, this league will, will find you, will, you know, give you that opportunity. Um, as we shift from the LSM position to the defensive unit, we've got Will Bowen, um, who steps in as, as an all-rookie defender. You know, he was the seventh pick in round one for the chaos. 
Um, and again, he had a great season. When you watch the chaos, it almost looks like, you know, when you watch Will Bowen play, that he's been in the league for years. Like he looks and he plays like a veteran. Um, 15 cost turnovers, 27 ground balls, three points on the season. He was a second team all pro, selected to his first all star game, tied for third in the league and caused turnovers. Um, so again, he just steps right in and is a home run, you know, and, and that's what Towers said that Will Bowen was a home run pick. Um, even after other polls, you know, were taken, you know, when you look back at the draft, there were a lot of polls taken early on in the first round, um, which typically doesn't happen. Usually you get a lot of offensive guys, face-off guys. Um, but they, there was a lot of polls that came off the board, and they found this this guy fit right in with, with Newman and Rowlett um, at the defensive end. Our next selection for our all rookie team is is Brett Maycar, um, you know from Maryland, Atlas Lacrosse Club. He was the third pick of the first round, uh, and you know he traditionally was in college a, a close defender. They had him play LSM, and it, a position that you know he may not have had you know experience with, but he played. You you wouldn't have known. Um, physical, athletic. Um, could get to hands, get to the body. You know, he had six cost turnovers, 43 ground balls in his 10 games, average 4.3 ground balls per game, and selected to the all-star game. Um, and again, he's a guy that I'm curious to see, you know, what Pressler does this offseason. Does he shift him down to close with Adler? Um, what are they going to do with, you know, a, a Durkin, Rex Road? Um, you know, some older guys, are they going to draft an LSM? Are they going to go and look at the free agent market and bring an LSM in? Or is Maycar going to stay um, at the LSM position? It'll be interesting to see what Pressler does um, with the roster next year. But again, a home run there, um, you know, just has a lot of upside. He's got the build for it. He's got the, you know, he, he's just a, a fun defender to watch. And then our third defender on our um, all-rookie team is, is Gavin Adler from the Atlas. He was the first pick um, in the first round, so he was the overall number one pick. Just, you know, a monster-type career at, at Cornell. Um, you saw it when they pl played in that championship game. You know, it was almost, you know, uh, a man amongst boys, you know, just in his, his athleticism his ability to cover, um, you know, and he transitioned into the, the, the pro game and I think has got the potential for a great career. He had 11 cost turnovers, 10 ground balls, uh, had one point in seven games. Um, you know, I'd like to see him have the ability to play, you know, for the full season. Um, but again, you know, a good season. He averaged about 1.6 cost turnovers a game. 1.4 ground balls per game, no penalties on the season, um, and was selected to the all-star game. So again, you know, you've got a lot of guys, you know, on this list, on this all-rookie team um, that were either an all-pro, you got all-pros, you've got some guys that were all-stars this past season, you've got guys that were, you know, league leaders, and if not, like, leading the league, they were second or third in the league in, you know, face-off percentage, in, you know, two-pointers, in, you know, goals, in assists, um, cost turnovers, you know, this rookie class, 
really was a was a home run. Um, it and building off of this rookie class, next year's could be even better. Um, especially more from an offensive standpoint. I know that we had a lot of guys offensively, but we've got a lot of attackmen coming in next year um, that that are gonna you know get picked you know probably first second round of the PLL draft. Um, so that is our all rookie team again at attack. We got Minicus, Kurtz, and Ferreira at midfield. We got Tucker Dordovic, Xander Dixon, Cole Kirst. We've got Mike Sisselberger at the faceoff X. We've got Connor Marr and Piper Bond at the D midfield positions with Ethan Rawl as that LSM and followed by Will Bowen, Brett Makar, and Gavin Adler um, at the defense. Um, you know, no goalie, no rookie goalie um, this past year um, made an impact. It was a lot of returners or a lot of guys that have been kind of waiting in the wings. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that who that next goalkeeper is. Um, if there's a guy this coming year that gets drafted, um, that comes in as that number one goalie. Um, I think, you know, just from from what I've read and and seen that you know Atlas may be looking to if there's a guy grab a guy um, in the draft this coming year because uh, I'm not sure where they sit with you know Porter and Concanon um, in net. Will they go the route of a goalie? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But again, that's our all-rookie team. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really fun breaking down both teams going into the championship game. Also really fun breaking down this all-rookie team. Um, let us know what your thoughts are. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day.